You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, episode 224. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to Stand Out Get Noticed. I'm Christina Cantors, here with you for episode 224. I want to say a big thanks for joining me. I hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are in the world, doing whatever you are doing when you listen to podcasts. Now, this show is all about helping you to develop powerful communication skills. It's what I love to do, and that's what um, we talk about every week on this show. And, you know, apart from listening to this show, one of the first steps you can take to further your communication and conversation skills is to join my free Small Talk Made Simple class, which you can find at freeconfidencecourse.com. That's a 10-day email series to help you talk about yourself, explain what you do, and increase your visibility in the workplace without sounding like you're bragging, of course. That link again is freeconfidencecourse.com. Now, I have some very exciting news. I'm heading to the US on Saturday, yes, this Saturday, for Podcast Movement, which is the world's biggest podcast conference that's happening in Orlando. And after that, we'll be going to New York City, where we'll be attending meetups and running some podcast workshops as well, which I cannot wait for. I'm so excited. Now, I will be taking a four-week break from the regular show. Okay. Now, when I say regular show, I mean that I still will be I st- will still be publishing, so you'll still hear from me. But the episodes might be shorter. They might be on slightly different topics. They might be more around sharing my takeaways from the conference. So you'll still hear from me, but the regular programming of the show will uh, resume. You know, after that four week break. All right. Let's get into today's episode, which is all about the role of jargon in the workplace. And I'm very excited to be joined by Gabrielle Dolan to share this topic with you. Now, Gabrielle is a global thought leader on authentic leadership and business storytelling, and she's on a mission to eradicate jargon from workplace communication. She has worked with thousands of high-profile leaders from all around the world, and she's helped countless of Australia's top 50 AXS companies sorry, ASX companies and multinationals to humanize their communication. She's the best-selling author of Ignite, Real Leadership, Real Talk, Real Results, which reached the top five on Australia's best-selling business books. She has a recent book out. It's called Real Communication, How to Be You and Lead True. Now, I discovered Gabrielle through jargonfreefridays.com which when I first saw it, I was like, that is the best. It's a movement that she founded that challenges people in business to go for one day a week without speaking any jargon. So I highly recommend that you check out jargonfreefridays.com and maybe share the challenge with with the people in your workplace. Now, as you're about to discover, using jargon is a barrier to clear, authentic communication in the workplace, and it can lead to confusion and distrust. So if you're wondering, you know, is there a place for jargon? Should I be using it? When is it appropriate? When isn't? This is, in this podcast, that's what what we're going to talk about. We also explore why jargon has become commonplace and why it's a problem and how we can start to remove it from our vocabulary. 
So if you're someone who's thinking, oh, I wish we could just speak clearer in the workplace and learn to understand each better, each other better, or if you're a leader and you want to be more human and connect better with your team and to be real and bring real authentic leadership into the workplace, then I'm confident you'll get a lot out of this episode. All right, you ready? Let's meet Gabrielle Dolan. I've been in business for a long time, you know, in corporates, and I see so many leaders pretending to be someone else. And it's not sustainable for a start. It's a lot more hard work to pretend to be someone else than be yourself. But I also think this generation, and when I say young generation, it's probably, you know, seriously, all of us want to be spoken to in a way that we connect with and engage with. Um, You know, my latest book around real communication was written because I think we need real communication now more than ever before. Um, And not that it hasn't been important, but there's a lot of things going on where I think people are just screaming out to say, just, you know, just be you, speak to me in a way that's real, stop all the crap and just speak in a way I can connect with. I think there's three reasons why people use jargon. Um, The first is avoidance. So sometimes we use these jargon words um, because we actually don't want to really say what we want to say. Politicians have this down to a fine art form where you can see a politician speak for half an hour and actually not say anything. Um, You see a lot of companies when they're talking about job losses, we'll use jargon words instead of saying job losses. Can you give an example? Oh, look, it, you know, years ago it used to be we're right-sizing or we're downsizing. Um, General Motors, th- this happened about three days before I was going to print with my new book and I madly contacted my publisher and said, can I please insert another paragraph to get this in? So the CEO of General Motors in America uh, announced – they were going to have 15,000 people lose their jobs and they were going to close down, I think it was seven um, sites all over Canada and America. And she repeatedly used the term, we're reallocating resources. So reallocating. And you sort of think there and go, you're reallocating them to the unemployment queue. Like that is... That is just depersonalizing everything. So, so automatically, people don't trust that, and because you're trying to hide the fact that fifteen thousand people are going to lose their jobs, so mm. we use it for avoidance. Um, the other reason we use jargon a lot is for importance to sound like we really know what we're talking about. Um, you know, people use that a lot in job interviews. You see people talk about you know executional excellence and strategizing and optimization and you know how many eyeballs can we get on that and everyone's <laughs> pivoting. You know, pivot pivot is the you know the buzzword going around right. in business at the moment. Like two years ago, no one was pivoting. They just used to change, but now we're pivoting. <laughs> and I just, every time I hear it, I think, unless you are a netballer, stop pivoting. Um, but what happens <laughs> is everyone then uses the word pivot. So, you know, all it takes is someone senior to use it or professional, you know, consultants to use it. And then we just all catch on to it and we start using it. So it's actually to make us sound like we're really important. And then the final reason I I think we use jargon and it's probably the most common is acceptance. So if you go, if you walk into a new job and everyone's using ducks in the row or move the needle, you just start to use it. You Mm. just start to use it because everyone else is using it and you think, okay, this is the way we talk. But you potentially don't know what it means. Um, And the danger is because everyone's using it, 
everyone thinks they know what it means, but it, it means it, well, a lot of time it doesn't even mean anything. Um, you know, those two examples I give you, 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 I'll be in meetings with clients and someone will go, yeah, we need to get our ducks in the row and ducks in a row. And everyone, you know, nods. Yes, yes, we need to get our ducks in a row. And then I can just see them. They walk out and it's like, what ducks? What row? Like, how does that give direction? We need to give ducks in a row. So So it actually leads to very confusing end result. There is no clear... There's no clear direction in direction that. Direction and result. Yeah. yeah, but but everyone walks away nodding in agreement that we need to do it. I um I was actually on holidays in Europe recently, and we uh, with with my two kids and my husband, and we went on a paddle boat ride, and it was one hour, and there was all these ducks on the pond, and I <laughs> thought it'd be really funny if I could take a photo to get ducks in a row, so I could post it. I reckon it took me about forty five minutes of that, you know, to get to get a photo of ducks in a row. So you know. Getting ducks in a row is hard, even when they're physical ducks. But um, it's just, you know, every time we use jargon, we are potentially disconnecting and isolating people because they're not really understanding what it means um, or they're feeling a little bit silly for not knowing what it means. Yes. When when our job in business, if we're, you know, if you're a leader and you're communicating, whether it's to your team or to your customers or to, you know, to the board, whoever – it's your job to actually communicate in a way that people connect and engage with. Mm. And if we're constantly using jargon, then we're actually disconnecting and disengaging people. Mm. So it's just, you know, you sort of got to be aware of it and stop yourself and go, well, what could I use instead of this jargon or, you know, cliche, like even even old cliches are the same, you know, like time is money. It was like... You know, yeah. Whatever. Well, let's think outside the box. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a classic. Let's think outside <laughs> the box. I often um say to people when they say it, I go, "Do you know that term was first used in the 1970s?" So you're using a phrase that is like 50 years old, asking to people be innovative. I reckon if you use and think outside <laughs> oh, the, the irony. box, the <laughs> irony of that is like yeah. very humorous. And you started Jargon Free Fridays. Yeah. Which I love, which is how I first discovered your work. Yeah. Um, where you challenge people to go without speaking jargon for on, one day. For one day. <laughs> What's been the response like to uh, that? It's it's been really good. So yeah, the concept of jargon free Fridays is um to raise awareness in, in a fun way, in a very funny way, to what I think is actually a really serious problem. Mm-hmm. Um the response has been really good, and even when you know I do a lot of speaking and training, and I often show one of my little one of the videos from Jargon Free Friday. Um, you know, like if if marriage proposals were in jargon, or if we spoke to kids about you know the birds and the bees in jargon, how funny that would be. Um, most people laugh at themselves and realise. It's almost this reaction is like, oh my god, I say that, and I said that today, <laughs> and and it's this realization that what they're saying is a little bit, you know, if we spoke that way in any other aspect of our life, we'd call it out for how. Could ridiculous you can you give an example of one of those jargon peppered um, the, phrases the, that we would say? Oh, look, I um, I actually worked with a guy once. Um, and he always used the term. He always used to use the term executional excellence, right? He goes, yeah, "It's." Ex- I think he even had it at one of their values, and I don't even. After a while, I said to Jeff, I, I was like an external consultant to them. I said, Jeff, I don't think people understand what you mean when you say executional excellence. So I go, just tell me what you mean by it, and 
you know, he'd say things like, um, you know, well, executional excellence is about um, once we have a strategic intent, we need to, you know, um, we have need to have robust and sustainable processes that meet, <laughs> that meet our, you know, key objectives for the and, – and like he, he sort of said this and after a few times I, I just kept going, Jeff, I still don't understand – I could just say say it in normal words and I could tell he was getting really frustrated with me and then he said, well, put simply, executional excellence means once we decide to do something, let's make sure we do it right. And it was like, why don't you say ding, that? Ding, ding, because, ding, ding. <laughs> because, you know, as, as an employee, I'd get engaged with that. This, you know, sustainable and robust and visualisation and operation, you know, it's all they, we add I's, I, I-Z-E to the end of everything yes. and thinks it makes sense. Um, so that – so I think jargon can lead to miscommunication. The real danger, though, the real danger is acronyms. That is when – so where jargon can potentially disconnect and isolate people and disengage people, acronyms can lead to miscommunication Um, because for every acronym, you know, regardless of the company you're in, the industry, and we all have different acronyms, for every acronym there are multiple variations. So, you know, if I I say SME to you, Mm. what what do you think? What's your immediate – Small, medium enterprise. Yeah. So to me, SME, I immediately think subject matter expert. Yes, that also came to mind, yeah. So um, I remember having a conversation with someone – about SMEs and I thought she was talking subject matter expert and after about 15 minutes I was wondering why like everything we said didn't really make sense to each other and then I realized she was talking small to medium enterprise so they're very different I um if I say STIs to you what do you think sexually transmitted infection yeah so all my life you know so I'm I'm 52 I grew up in my career STIs were always short-term incentives so right. you worked in corporate <laughs> and it was you, you talk about people's short-term incentives. You know, they've they got long-term incentives, but what are their short-term incentives? Mm. And it's only, you know, in the last few years people are going, well, that's sexually transmitted infections. Mm. And that's a pretty awkward question you can ask someone in a job interview what STIs they currently have <laughs> and, <laughs> and what STIs they would like. I mean, that is oh weird. And, that is and, I, weird. And I... When I speak in America, I, I say that this joke and people go, well, in America, it's STDs, yep. sexually transmitted disease. And I go, well, in Australia, that's an inter, interstate call, an STD call. So it's um, using acronyms are really dangerous. And I actually think they're quite lazy in a way because it puts all the onus on the person that you're talking to or who's reading what you're saying. It puts all the onus on them. Right. To actually Figure do the out. interpretation. Um, so does that mean you, you write it out? Yeah, I think you write it out. Look, and there's some acronyms that are, you know, common and you don't write them out. Um, but it's this, it's this unnecessary use of acronyms, the problem. We, we reduce everything. So, you know, if you say ATM, you're not, you, you know, you're not going to write automatic teller machine, yeah. but the amount of people that still say ATM machine or PIN number. Um, so if it's, it's really common, <laughs> it's, it's true. If it's really, really common, then it can be an efficient way to communicate. As long as you're sure, everyone knows what it means. And and we just know that's not the case. And the real, so the real danger is, is when we, um, we might all know what it means internally and in our business. And then because we're so used to saying these acronyms, 
we start to use that same language when we're talking with customers and that is really dangerous, Mm. really dangerous. I remember um, last year I got an email from my financial planner and it had something in there about BPS and um, I've got a technology background so my immediate thought was bits per second and I, I I knew it wasn't bits per second because we weren't talking about technology, we were talking about my financial portfolio and but I didn't know what it was, so I I had to send an email back. Back, she responded with its basis points. My first reaction was, "Now we've created a three-letter acronym out of two words." Was my first response, <laughs> but my second response is, "I went, oh, of course it is," and I and I felt a little bit stupid for not knowing. I am the client, and mm. I'm feeling stupid for not understanding their industry um, acronyms. So I just think it's really dangerous. Um, when I was writing the book, I discovered that the word acronym only only came into the English dictionary in 1943. And the reason it entered in the 1940s is because acronyms became really widespread during the World War, because they would communicate, they would deliberately communicate using acronyms, knowing when the enemy intercepted, they would not understand the message. So So, they're they're designed to be So let's think about this. We are using a default language that was designed to be confusing and and so people wouldn't understand what we're saying. And that, for some reason, that has become our default language. We, We think in our head just because we use a phrase with three words in it more than three times we have to reduce it to an acronym no we don't just say mm. it doesn't it doesn't take that much time to say it and it doesn't take up any extra a little bit of extra keystrokes when you're writing it yeah absolutely so when we talk about speaking clearly in plain language yep. that's authentic to us as people yep. as humans what are the biggest things that hold people back to do that? What's the, what, what are the biggest challenges that you're finding? I think the biggest challenge is, is um, I sort of spoke to you at the past, in, in it just previously, it's like it's okay not to right. use jargon. The amount of people that have read my book, I mean, this is what I love, I hope I'm, I hope I'm getting generational change, is new grads. So new grads have written to me and saying, I just thought the way to be professional was to use this because they, you know, because they go in and they see everyone doing yeah. it. So there's this um, assumption that if you use jargon and acronyms and use all these, you know, phrases, be, corporate speak, business speak, whatever you want to call it, that that's you're seen as professional, mm. and it's actually not. So what I do see is I see people who are quite new don't use it and then gradually get sucked into using jargon and acronyms. And then I see people almost at the end of their career that really know their stuff. It's almost like they've got nothing to prove. They're the ones that go back to start using real words yeah. and and you really connect and engage with that. So I think one of the things that holds people back for just using real words is that they think that it's, it's not professional or they won't sound professional. Yeah. Um, they will sound professional and they'll also sound engaging and they'll also sound connecting and they'll also – people will understand what they're saying and that is professional. Well, that's something that people come to me – they come to me and they say, Christina, I want to be able to be engaging. Mm. I want to be interesting. I want to – be able, I want people to sit up and listen when I speak. And it yeah. sounds like if people can simply eliminate jargon and speak 
in simple language that's everyday language that's going to be that's going to help them i i, I think that's a, a big a big step is just eliminate jargon use simple language be really clear on what you want want to say so like mm. it is you know well what are you trying to say um and bring a bit of you to it like it's um you know people have people go i want to be real i mean if you if you have people saying i want to be more authentic i want to be real but they're too scared to show who they are i mean that's a real danger too so again i think I think I can see that changing in business. There's a lot of push um, for especially the larger organisations that I work with for, you know, they talk about we need our leaders to be more human. Mm. We need them to be more authentic. We need to be them more approachable. And what that means is, you know, get rid of all the armour, get rid of, you know, all this professional bullshit that goes mm. on really and just be more of yourself. Um, now, that doesn't mean you're talking the same way you talk with your mates down the pub. I mean, the way I talk with my friends is slightly different to the way I talk in business. It's slightly different to the way I talk to my parents, <laughs> slightly different yeah. to the way I talk to my kids. But ultimately, it's still being me. And um, I think people need to be have the courage, I think, to bring more of themselves, not only to the way they lead, but to the way they communicate. Mm. And my understanding is that storytelling plays a big role in that as well. And I, I know that you're you're massive on storytelling. You've written yeah. books about it, yeah. and this is what you help people with. Can you can you share a little bit about how people can bring more of that humanness to work through some through storytelling? Yeah, you're right. I, I um so I used to work at National Australia Bank, and I left there almost 15 years ago. So I've been for the last 15 years, I've been teaching business people how to communicate their business message through personal stories. Um, storytelling is like the biggest thing going around at the moment. Everyone's talking about we need to get better at stories. Um, and, and that's what I do. I teach people how to do that well. What I find is if you share a personal story, like, you know, perhaps when you're a kid or, you know, even something that happened on the weekend or what it, it helps people get your business message. So it helps you get your business message across in a way people understand and remember and actually connect with and engage with. But what it also does, it reveals a little bit about yourself. Mm. Um, you know, so if you're sharing a story about, you know, on the weekends you went to visit your parents, you know, whatever, it, like it might get your message across but then people are thinking, oh, you know, they're, they're a really good family person or whatever. Yeah. And so it's all these little things that make you, you know, and when we talk about make you more human, make you more real, the the people you lead, um, especially the more senior you become, need to know that you have the same challenges that they do. Um, and every time you share a personal story, you reveal a little bit more about yourself. Um, and that's that's to the heart, I think, of authentic leadership mm. and real communication. What about for people who are thinking, what do you mean tell a personal story of what I did on the weekend? How does that relate to business? How is that how does that communicate a business message? Does that have anything to do with business? Yeah, look, a lot of people do. A lot of people come with, well, well how is that related? Um, it might, I'll give an example, I think, sure. I reckon is the best uh, way to do this. So I'll, I'll, this is a common example I share, but I worked with um, a team. So it was the team, it was risk. They were all risk managers. And the head of risk, her name was Rosemary, and she said, um, you know, the biggest issue I have is whenever risk is raised as an issue, everyone just looks at me and says, you're the risk manager, that's your job. And she says, it doesn't matter how many times I tell them 
I can't manage their risk for them. All I can do is help them manage the risk. Mm. She goes, the message doesn't get through. The, the Nothing changes. The behaviour doesn't change. So um, I worked with Rosemary and her team, and this is the story Rosemary came up with. She said, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm. And growing up on a farm, there was all these dangers we needed to be aware of, but mum would teach us what to do. So we knew what to do if we ever came across a redback spider in the timber heap. We knew about all the potential traps in the dam after heavy rain. And we knew what to do if we came across a snake in summer. And I remember this stinking hot day, mum was yelling at me to get my gate, uh, my bike from the front gate. So I ran down the path and then I just froze because in front of my bike was this massive copperhead snake. But I remembered everything mum taught us to do. So I played statues and I slowly walked backwards until there was enough space between me and the snake and I ran back to the house to tell mum. And I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of the role we play in risk. All I can do is give you the skills, knowledge and advice so when you come across your own copperhead snake, regardless Mm. of what that looks like, you will know what to do. So Rosemary said she shared that story and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the business units, you know, got like sort of they got it through that story and and you know when risk was raised and they'd be talking about you know have we identified all our copperhead snakes because I'd, I'd, I'd put it to you and, and your listeners do, does that story help you understand the role of a risk manager better and you know everyone goes yes it does will you remember it and you absolutely will, mm. will remember it and there's a reason why I can I can talk about why you remember it and, and can you retell it without losing its meaning? And the reality is when you're in a role, especially when you're in a leadership role, when you're leading people or when, you know, even just communicating to your clients perhaps, when the meeting's over, when the presentation's finished, can they remember? Can they understand what you said? Can they remember it and can they retell it to others? And what I know for sure is a personal story will give you traction on those Mm. three things. Now, in Rosemary's case, the personal story, you know, it doesn't reveal a whole lot about it, but, you know, it reveals she grew up on a farm, it reveals she listens to her mum, you know, so there's some things that it reveals, you know, and so every personal story you share might just reveal a little bit more about you. Um, Question. So you're a professional storyteller. Yeah. You do this for a living. You're very good at it and, you know, you are the expert at it and you help others to do it. When you're – so when you were teaching – Rosemary this, yep. how long did it take her to be able to tell it in an effective way? Yeah, that is a great question. So I, I know when people come to my training, they're either at the point of I've got no stories or I'm really bad at storytelling or I don't even think storytelling works in business. You know, through to, through to some people go, I just want to get better at this. Um, but taking them from that point, giving them the skills, the knowledge, the opportunity to practice at the end – they can share a story like this. Um, It's not going to be perfect Mm. and it it doesn't even have to be perfect. It's the first time it's part of the practice. But, you know, if you practice it enough, you will get there. But it really is – the training is about teaching people the – actually opening up their mind to realise how powerful these personal stories are. And what happens, and and this is, again, the reason I don't do one-on-one, is I can share a story and you go, yeah, that was good, but you're a professional. But if I'm sitting there and my colleague shares a story, I sit there and go, oh, wow, that was, God, mm. that was really good. And, and and then your next colleague shares it and you go, that, this is having a real impact on me. So they actually experience the power of it, yes. which is important. So part of the practice, so they get to practice and work on their stories, but it really is giving them the framework to, you know, help them go, so what's my business message? 
what's a potential story I can use? Where do I find that story? I teach them how to start their story. So, you know, it's starting with impact, what to put in the middle, most importantly, what to leave out of the middle and how to end your story so it's effective. So we don't want to be ending our story with, so the moral of the story is, uh, you know, it, it like if two tips I can give your listeners, don't start your story with, let me tell you a story. Don't start <laughs> that way. And don't end with the moral of the story is. It was like storytelling is a really respectful way to communicate with people and you should allow people to get the message. And if you do it right, if you get it all right, they will get the message. Um, telling them what the moral of the story is, you just, why don't you just tell them the point? Because people are smart. Yeah, people are smart. If you start telling like, a story, they're going to go, oh, you're telling me a story now. You yeah, don't have to tell yeah. them I'm about to tell you a yeah, story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're actually hardwired to listen to stories. So if, we, if you start your stories in the right way, people will just naturally listen. But if you start with, let me tell you a story, they will turn off and go, I'm not an idiot, just tell me the point. Because, again, people think telling stories is, oh, okay, this is going to take five or ten minutes. And part of the skill is if you're sharing a story in business, it's got to be really, really succinct, really succinct. Mm, absolutely. Well, that's I think that's something we everyone can take on board, but it's very important to know that this is a skill it's, to develop and yeah. you can't just go, oh, I'm just going to tell a story like that. Yeah. Um, so I do encourage people to, you know, to connect with you, Gabrielle, on LinkedIn. And I know you've got a lot of, um, you know, you've got books, you've got yeah. articles about storytelling. There's a lot of, there's a, there's a really great free resource on my website too. It's, it's a seven day storytelling starter kit. So it's like a little video you get from me for seven days in a row. And um, I know people find that it's just, it's just a great way to start so if you've if, if you're sort of thinking wow i've never even thought about this before this yep. is this is could be a good way just to just to get you thinking about it and you yep. know give you some tips to give it a go all right i'll send a, i'll put, um, put a link to yeah. that in the show notes as well cool well i encourage everyone to check out the book real communication how to be you and lead yes. true um i know and because you're listening to this on a podcast gabrielle also has a podcast yes Could you share do. a bit about where people can What's it called and where can they Yeah, subscribe? look, literally if you go to my website, um, gabrieldolan.com, and you go to the resource tab and then you go to the podcast tab. So it, it, it probably is a little bit hidden, but um, yeah, there's there's a whole heap of resources on my, on my website for free. There's heaps of white papers around storytelling, around change, um, and, you know, yeah, all the books and other blogs and everything. So, yeah. Love it. Well, Gabrielle, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show and thanks for helping me to, you know, spread this message of, you know, speaking authentically and sharing as much real communication with the world as we can. Thank you for the opportunity and how ironic that we're filming this on a Friday. So it's jargon-free Fridays. (laughs) Did that move the needle for you? (laughs) Sorry, had to do it. Big thanks to Gabrielle Dolan for sharing her insights on the show this week. Um, I will put links to how you can connect with her in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash 224. Now, speaking of clear, simple communication, if you haven't yet, come on over and join my free Small Talk Made Simple class. It'll help you to talk about yourself and explain what you do and explain your value in a way that engages people makes them sit up and take notice without sounding like you're bragging, of course. And that is all from me this week. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I'll talk to you next week where I'll be in the US and doing something a little bit different for you rather than your regular podcast. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, but we'll see what happens. 
I'm Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. Get Noticed.